Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear you today and get up with you. We're going to talk a little text and think about preaching for the 19th Sunday after Pentecost in Ure. These are the texts for October the 8th, 2023. Good text today. Uh, at least one passage. Uh, I would argue more than that, but at least one passage that's among the most familiar in all yeah. of uh, all of Scripture. Uh, great cutting out of Philippians, and of course the gospel text today. Tell us what you got on your mind, Bubba, while we think about preaching. Well, you know, this time of year, in in ordinary time, you got a lot of text and trying to figure out what's the most effective way to deal with mm-hmm. them, and. Uh, I'm I'm thinking today what I'd like to do is divide out into two sections, and it's just flip a coin which goes first. One section is um, Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. and Psalm 19, and Philippians right. 3, which all have a, a dealing with law and gospel mm-hmm. if you, when you're with Philippians and how all that works together. And, right. And I think that's some interesting stuff there. And then the other set are connected through the image of the vineyard. I mean, and yeah. they're the ones that you have the gospel and then they pick the Hebrew scripture lesson in the psalm to complement the gospel, that's complementary it. text. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start with the, the whole vineyard thing because that's one big unit. Got it. We're talking about the vineyard and we'll come at the end with Exodus and uh, and the law and Paul on Philippians. So let's go. Let's do it, man. All right, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Song of the Beloved, the mm. Vineyard. One uh, one of the things to think about with this is who is who's who's who who's right. the beloved mm-hmm. who's talking here, and it really falls out that Isaiah takes on three identities as this unfolds mm-hmm. as he this gets written. And the first two verses, uh, when it comes out, uh I am of the beloved, you know. I let me sing for my beloved a love song concerning his vineyard. Right. So it's odd to us. The, the, the beloved is my friend, Dodie, mm-hmm. and he's the friend of the bridegroom. But then it, after the first two verses, it kind of drops that mm-hmm. image mm-hmm. and picks up and speaks in the voice of the the owner. So. It's kind of odd to try to figure out why that opening line is what it is. And yeah. there's no song. Right. <laughs> so I write uh, the songs that make the... Yeah, yeah. And there's no song. And so I think what's important here is to say that Isaiah is saying, I'm here as an advocate on behalf of, mm. as he begins. And then he speaks in the voice of the one who owned the vineyard. Uh, against the vineyard it's almost it's like a law case he makes mm-hmm. his case against the vineyard and basically says i did my part yeah and y'all failed the vineyard failed mm-hmm. and he says somebody proved to me i didn't do my part 
judge between me and my vineyard, he says yeah. in verse 3. What was more could I do when I expected to yield grapes? Why did it yield wild grapes? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what I, what I do for my vineyard. He said, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough out of y'all. I'm done. I'm I'm taking the hedge away. I'm taking the protection. I'll break down its walls. It'll be trampled on. I'll make it a waste. I'm not going to prune it. I'm not going to hoe it. going to be briars and thorns. There'll be no more rain. I'm done. Yeah. So that's the verse of the the voice of the owner. There then the Lord comes in the last verse. The, the, the prophet takes on the voice of God, the prophet, prophetic voice. Mm-hmm. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, interpreting what he's just said. Right. And the people of Judah are his pleasant planning. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, Mm. righteousness, but heard a cry. So within the complexity of who's talking there, we have this basic thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that, that bridegroom, the, the importance of the beloved and the bridegroom image, is that many times we find this image of Yahweh and God's people as bride and groom. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's saying, I got this complaint. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to speak on behalf of my buddy here. Things ain't working out the way they ought to. Mm-hmm. Shifts, as I said, to that other voice. Now, the real key, and it's fairly simple, is God brought Israel out of Egypt, brought them into the new land, planted them, took care of them, and what was expected was fruit mm-hmm. of justice and righteousness. And he didn't doesn't see it, so he's quitting. Yeah, that's where it leaves it. Yeah, the whole thing stinks. Uh, the whole thing stinks. Yeah, because that's that's the play in uh, interior going on here in the, in the Hebrew and with the vineyard. You go back up to verse two. You know he expected it to yield grapes, good grapes, juicy, plump grapes that you can use, yeah. but it yielded wild grapes, literally stinking. Yeah. You know anybody that has ever had an experience with grapes and you know whether they're pulled off the vine or they stay on too long or whatever and they start to uh, just get nasty and eventually that fermentation process sets in and they get um they stink and they're slimy and so here's that image and then you get down to verse seven and the payoff yeah, y'all are the pleasant planting of God. He's looking for justice, but it's bloodshed. Looking for so, righteousness, but so here's yeah. here's here's the situation when the acknowledged reality is mm-hmm. Israel has has been the hedge has been broken. Israel's been destroyed, and Isaiah says, "Well, it's y'all's fault mm-hmm. because y'all let God down. Mm-hmm. You didn't mm-hmm. produce what you were supposed to produce." In the psalm, we get an alternative vision. Mm-hmm. So there is not given a response to the question that is raised in 12, why then have you broken down its walls? Mm-hmm. It's addressed to God. And they say, oh, first of all, it starts out, oh, restore us, let your face shine. That's a metaphor for look, you know, show us your glory, that we may be saved. Mm-hmm. So they're they're coming and saying, we're in trouble and we want you to save us. And then they go, 
Hey, you brought us as a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted the vine. Yeah. You cleared the ground. You sent out its branches. You did all of this. Why did you give up? Mm. Why have you broken down the walls? So that anybody that comes along can pluck the fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it. I like that image. <laughs> all that move in the field feed on it. It's unprotected. Mm-hmm. Turn again. Uh, so there is that. What did we do? You let us. Why did you do this? Mm-hmm. And then it turns again to the pleading. Turn again, O God of hosts. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand had planted. And if you mm-hmm. go outside of the cutting, right, advisedly of eight, five, 7 through 15, that verse, restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine, happens in verse 3. Verse 7, and further down, 17, 18, a little further on. And it's that theme of we know things are bad, and in this case, we don't know what we did. (laughs) Why did you do this to us? So you have this discussion. This is why I wanted to run these three together. Right. So you got Isaiah saying, it's because you didn't do justice. And the psalmist saying, we don't understand why God let us go. So then you get the Matthew text again around a, a vineyard. Right. Um, earlier in tw- chapter 21, there was the question that started a sequence here in which they asked Jesus after he had done some things in the temple. Remember, this is after Holy Week and Palm, mm-hmm. as this whole, after Palm Sunday, and he's done the, the temple mm-hmm. throwing over the tables and such. By whose authority are you doing this? <laughs> right. And he responds with a couple of things. Three parables, although days is not exactly a parable, but three parables. The first one we did last week, two sons in the vineyard. Right. The ones who said yes, but didn't do it. Mm-hmm. The ones who said no and are now doing it. And then next, then today we've got the tenants and how they treat the slaves and the son. And then next week, we'll have the wedding banquet. All of these in a row that Matthew marshals here in response to the questions about Jesus' authority. Today, this is more allegory than parable. A parable uh, sort of goes along beside, but there's no, there's not always a direct connection. The father in the, in the prodigal son is not necessarily God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is an allegory, very clearly an allegory, uh, that Matthew intends this way, mm-hmm. in which, you know, the owner is clearly God, yeah. the tenants are the people of Israel, the slaves that are sent out are the prophets, and the son is Jesus. And so we have this interesting piece, and the question is, why did Matthew tell this story right. to the early church? Mm-hmm. Uh, several scholars, and I agree with them, uh, say that Matthew took a Jesus parable and expanded <laughs> it a bit for the early church. Yeah, yeah. We we will just leave it late and say he yeah. interpreted it. Yeah. He interpreted it and put it where it is. He didn't make it up. Yeah. But he interpreted it 
for the early church for a very important reason. He wanted to make sure there was no triumphalism. So the Jews messed it up, so they, all the way to killing Jesus, so the owner took it away from them and gave it to us. He said, first of all, they're still tenants, God's still the owner. Mm-hmm. And secondly, the owner still expects fruits. It's still expected that the church will provide righteousness and justice, that the church it's, will come forth in this mm-hmm. way. So uh, Fred Craddock and quite a few others would, would say that, that this is a, a way of following this trail of saying, what is the covenant relationship? Mm between God and God's people. And is it a relationship of indulgence? Mm. That whatever God's people do do is fine because God loves them anyway? Mm. Or does God love them and expect some justice and righteousness to come forth from his efforts, from God's efforts? And... What happens at that end? That's that's an inter- that's the question. Hmm. This text implies up through uh, twenty forty one. This this one implies that God will take it away and give it to others. Hmm. How do we preach that? How, Is, yeah. <laughs> we, we, now you, I've already cautioned we can't do the anti-Semitic thing. Then yeah. he took it away from the Jewish people yeah, I, and gave it to the Gentiles and the church. I think that's real important to hear because, yes, this has got a little more complication to it than some of the stuff we read, and I think that's yeah. a very, very important thing. And again, who were the primary listeners to these parables? Yeah, exactly. Chief priests, Pharisees, people questioning his authority. Um, and, and Matthew, as you say, sets it up this way. He wants to make it very clear who Jesus is when he's speaking. Yep. So this is not a um, uh, an Israel-wide ban on being, yep. being brought into the kingdom. Not at all. Uh, I think there's more to this. Uh, I think there are themes here of arrogance and continence and self uh, inflation, self-importance, uh, so on and so forth, and it's probably wise for us to take it not on the sun, not on the it, packing it all in the sermon, but as preachers, understand and remember the full context here that we've been reading and what's uh, what's you know, what's going on with this passage. Uh, so, where is the good news in <laughs> this passage? Um, there are still. Uh, there are still uh, fruits and rewards and acclaim and reception, etc., available to a people, to all people, who are opening their hearts to the kingdom of God, so, producing the fruits of the kingdom. So, uh, yeah. So when we look at this, we, we have to step outside 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. in the dialogue there. Mm-hmm. And step into, well, how do we proclaim this to the church now? Mm-hmm. The people we're talking to. And it's easy enough to say, well, those bad old folks, look what <laughs> the elders and so chief, chief, <laughs> chief priests and elders, yeah. what they did. Yeah. But let's, how does this apply to us? And you move into 42, 43 of following. Mm-hmm. He shifts mm-hmm. to 
uh, a reference to, um, I think it's Psalm 118, I think. The, I had it written down and can't find my piece. Oh, of the stone that the builders the has stone, rejected. The stone, I think it's Psalm mm-hmm. 118. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he shifts to that image. The stone that the builders rejected, and that's mm-hmm. he's tying that to Jesus, the son being right. rejected, has become the cornerstone. And that which the people that were supposed to be building the kingdom of God rejected the Messiah. And so this is an effort to talk about how do we view it that Jesus came to the people of Israel. And it's very obvious that as a the leaders of that body, mm-hmm. the religious mm-hmm. leaders, rejected him. Right. So how do we in the, at this time it's hard to tell, the, the there's not a, Jewish church and Christian church, there's hmm. or Gentile church. It's all early mixed, and but how do we how do we look at it that our le- the Jewish leadership had rejected Jesus, but many Jewish people and others have accepted him, and mm-hmm. it's the builders rejected the cornerstone, and the Lord takes it and turns it into a new kingdom. It's an interesting image, and this becomes the amazing there's where the gospel is the grace is that lord the lord takes brokenness mm-hmm. and turns it in to healing mm-hmm. takes the you know the broke the, the stone breaks people as it says in 44 mm-hmm. one on falls on the stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone who falls i've been crushed by the stone that is christ <laughs> many times I've, I've been crushed, and I have had a considerable uh, number of times that I have bruised my big toe stumbling over that stone, uh, <laughs> and I've had I, to say, oh, well, thank you for getting my attention on that. Uh, I, I have had uh, elements, multiple things, arrogances, racisms, mm-hmm. misogyny, a multitude of things. I could go down a long list. Um, some of them are isms, some of them are personal items, mm-hmm. some of all kinds of things that I thought I knew what I was doing and thought I was right. Yeah. And I thought it was Christian in the mm-hmm. good Southern term of, he, that was a very Christian man. I thought I was being Christian. Mm-hmm. And then the word crushed me, crushed it out of me. And the word rebuilt me. So there's a lots of image here that cannot right. we don't need to stand back from it i guess that's where yeah, I'm going. that's a good idea we can't stand back from it and say look what happened to those people mm-hmm. and these people over here and we are the inheritors triumphantly of the kingdom yeah we're Let's the ones uh working in the vineyard producing the fruit isn't that good that we are never judgmental like those pharisees and those <laughs> chief priests and ooh, careful i think so it comes to us as we look at isaiah mm-hmm. and we look at the psalm and we look at the gospel to say how does how do we pursue how do we perceive what god has done for yeah. us yep is it something that we were given and we can just enjoy without any response ability. No re- requirement or no need for us to respond. Yeah. Or is there a certain degree of response that should can naturally be expected of a person who has come into relationship with God's grace? Right. 
And I think that's what this is getting at. Now, problem is we get it into the binary of saved, not saved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's in and who's out when really it's trying to struggle with us individually right. and say, are we, are we paying attention to the gift that is God's grace in our life? And are we responding to it with in such a way that we've opened our life that God lives in us fully and God's grace. Those are the questions this text brings up. If we, if we step outside away from looking at it as a being about others mm-hmm. and turn it totally as being about right. ourselves, both individually and collectively as the church, mm-hmm. it becomes a different story. Yep. Yep. I'm with you, Bubba. I'm with you. Now, what so, if a feller was, uh, or, uh, you know, a feller, I kind of use that um, uh, for our, our, yeah, our, our uh, ladies and gentlemen uh, preaching. What if you were on this other track? What are we talking about here? Well, in, in Exodus 20, of course, you know, we're very aware of the uh, Ten Commandments. And I was just going to suggest one of the things I loved while serving the Episcopal Church is there's a liturgy in the Book of Common Prayer of doing the Decalogue at the beginning of the service, yeah. and that would work very well with the Sundays this text comes up. But what, yeah. what happens here is you, you've got, this is the priestly version. And what's important is to do exactly what the text does, which is place the text in context. Mm-hmm. And the context is, uh, I uh, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So <clears throat> Gene Tucker taught Old Testament at Candler for many, many years. Say, the law, the people to whom the law is given have already been saved. Hmm. It's important to remember that the people to whom the law is given have already been saved. I have delivered you. Mm-hmm. The law is given within a context of God's grace. So one of the real problems through the years of the the Ten Commandments has been that people have viewed them as uh, a test by which it's decided whether you get to go to heaven. How many times? Well, I've obeyed all the commandments. Oh, you know, yeah. What must I do to be righteous? That's it. There you go. I've obeyed all the commandments since my youth, mm-hmm. and taken it out of its context. This is in the context of a covenant ceremony that goes from, uh, say, the end of 19 through 24. Right. And this is cementing the relationship and making boundaries. And it is a gift. If you look at the, what the words that are said, this is a gift, not a requirement. They've already been saved. Mm-hmm. The gift is, let me tell you how to relate to Yahweh, your God, because you, you, you didn't know me. So let me tell you what you're supposed to do. And one through three tells them, you know, no other gods. You don't make idols. Don't don't make wrongful use of my name. <laughs> so, you know, those are the first three. And that's about, this is, the, this is how we relate to one another. Four and five are a trans, transitional piece for and it, it's family. Mm-hmm. How we do? Because Sabbath is a family day. Now, if you look back at Hebrew, yeah, 
you know, they what you do on the Shabbat, Shabbat and, and all this, and said, so take time from your work and be together with your family. And it talks about honoring your fa- father and mother. So those two have to do with the small unit. The rest, 5 through 10, are how do you live in larger community? Yeah. And it's a gift because if you take the context, these are a people who had long been in slavery. They had no... They they had no independence of will about what was right or wrong. What was right or wrong was told them by their master. So the gift is they come here, they come to this place, and this gift is given to them. This is the way the Hebrew people always saw it, was God's gift of t- teaching. Mm-hmm. It's the other word for how do we be a covenant people mm-hmm. together. One of the things that people, people make a... a a connection with this with other laws notice there's no word here of the punishment now there are right. other places in hebrew scripture where they talk about how you punish this or that but in this it's not it's not a law code in the sense of mm-hmm. here's the punishment for doing that right right this is a guidance on how to live together as god's people we we have to remember this is this will form the core and the heart of torah the way, the teaching, which we, uh, uh, let's be honest, or to me, we, we lose a little bit when we talk about the law and what we think yeah. of as law. Yeah. I think you're yeah. pointing out that distinction. This is not it law is. and punishment here. This is the way. This is the heart of Torah. This is God's teaching. This is laying out a way for us. Absolutely. Well, sometimes you've heard people say, my daddy had a philosophy of life. <laughs> I think that may be closer. Yeah. What we want to think about with Torah, mm-hmm. a way of looking at life and, and principle or, you know, principles you go by, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's the way to look at that. So you get to Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6 are about how the creation tells us who God is, and then the 6, I mean, 7 through 14 shifts again to the Torah, so yeah. you have the way in which God is revealed both in nature yeah. and in Torah, the gift of the law, and in both it is God revealing God's self. To God yeah. is active in letting us know who who He God is yeah. through these means. Not to mention our theme verse there, 19.7 Part B, the decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. (laughs) (laughs) We're all about the simple. We got the simple, you know. Uh, Well, uh, it's interesting how many times when you get into this, the Psalms and other places where it talks about how many different languages Mm -hmm. words are used because it's difficult to get that concept decrees precepts commandments Mm -hmm. ordinances there's more and more effort to try to fine-tune what is meant by what god has said for us and there is that element in the jewish tradition of say of coming to the point of saying and if we don't do this then god's going to get us don't it's in there (laughs) yeah but it's not the primary piece. And so mm-hmm. Psalm 19 sort of complements what's going on in Exodus 20 in saying this is a great gift 
that comes to us, that guides us, and shows us the way through life. Indeed. Then you get into the text for Philippians, which was not picked to go with these texts. It's just another Mm semi-continuous, but it it complements them in an, an interesting way. Because Paul's overall theme has been about how um has has been about what makes us holy. Yeah. His longer argument in Philippians has, has been what what makes us holy. And he comes to this point and he and people have said, Well if you do this or if you live up to this and various things and they're judging each other within the church in Philippi about who's the best. Mm-hmm. And so he starts with his own religious pedigree. Right. And he says, you know, if you want to, if you want to measure it by stuff like that, <laughs> ends up, I'm blameless. Yeah. Verse six. That's his point there. So, you know, I've got it, but it's nothing. Yeah. And in verse seven, you get the, the great exchange. And, and you know, Luther made a big deal with this great exchange to the point of saying on the cross is where the ultimate exchange takes place where Christ takes on our sin and gives us Christ's righteousness. Yeah. Well, here he talks about whatever gains I had, they're, they're loss because of Christ. Yeah. You know, everything that I've done, I realize is, is rubbish mm-hmm. because of surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Right. And he, rubbish is an interesting word. He uses it, you know, <laughs> a couple of times in well, here. Yeah. Uh, we trash. It's, it's, it's trash. It's what you throw out, and may may even be considered the uh, byproduct of uh, digestion by the animals. Uh, so, so there we. So what there we Paul go. is saying is my efforts. Yeah, my efforts to fulfill the law and prove my righteousness are just like so much caca. When you realize <laughs> that it's the gift of God. <laughs> I'm not I sure. like that for I like I, that word. You can tell you're a granddaddy now. I'm a uh, granddaddy. Kaka. <laughs> Kaka. Yeah. <laughs> and, so um he says, you know, the the reality is compared to what Christ did for us. Yeah. I haven't done anything and what I'm going to do with Christ living in me is the key. Mm. It's a gift again. It has to do with the giftedness, and this is where I tie that and Exodus together, is we need to see the Ten Commandments as a gift. Yeah. And what Christ has done for us as a gift. And this this may be, uh, it was more emphasized in the tradition in which I grew up, hmm. but somehow this great joyous gift of what Christ had done for us was another weighted burden. Hmm. Look what you did to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And all your sins, just putting another nail in his cross, in his side. You're cutting another hole in his side. You're just doing all these awful things. And it's like, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. The point is, we Christ did what Christ did for us. Mm-hmm. So that we, as a gift, so that we might be free to live a new life in the resurrection. Yeah. Verse 9 really gets at that interiority of what goes on here. Not having a righteousness of my own, but one that comes through faith in Christ. Paul's not trying to throw the law away. He's not trying to throw the commandments out. 
but where is the righteousness? And uh, you and I have just spent several days on our uh, uh, on a workshop digging into scriptures with uh, several wonderful, of course, uh, preachers and pastors. And over and over, how many times did we see that theme? Preparing for the upcoming season of Advent, it's not us, it's God. Not that we fling up our hands and say, oh, well, nothing I can do. I'll live however I want to. Nor is it, well, here's what the rules say. I better work on keeping them. There's this delightful um, uh, cooperation and participation in the life and the love and the righteousness of God that will prepare us and will bring us, as we've seen a number of times, blameless before the throne of God. It's, yeah, it's good it's stuff. Always, it's always a, a difficult ambiguity mm-hmm. read homiletically. Right. Because if you press too hard on the justice and righteousness and the fruits and what you need to bear or the temp, it'll be taken away from mm-hmm. you, et cetera, et cetera, then you, you blend over into it's something you have to earn. Right. Right, and you you forget the idea that it's Christ working in us, or that even with the Hebrew Scriptures, as Gene Tucker pointed out with the Ten Commandments, they were given to people who had already been saved, mm-hmm. and they're just this is how you live out your salvation. This is how you work as God's already saved covenant people, and the things Paul's talking about throughout about how we live together as Christian people is about how we live out what Christ has done for us. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to emphasize that part without shredding over, tripping over into legalism, but it's hard to press too hard on the grace part, and there's nothing you can do to be saved. Christ did it all. It's a total gift without yeah. worrying over that, well, it becomes, well, <laughs> as Oscar Wilde said it, God likes to, to forgive. I like to sin. It's a wonderful arrangement. <laughs> yeah. And as preachers, it's our job to find careful. Yeah. To make sure it doesn't come out either way. Yeah. Comes out with an understanding that God's grace has come to us mm-hmm. and em- enables us to produce. Mm-hmm fruit of justice and righteousness. In a way, Paul's given us a description of life in the vineyard. Uh, you know, there's there's a little touch of a um, of a connection to understanding yeah. that parable. Uh, this is it. All right, Bubba. Well, you took us through some uh, familiar yet sometimes a little bit sticky uh, with issues in these uh, in these scriptures. I appreciate it. As always, I've enjoyed it. Uh, we've got ordinary time starting to wind down here like sins through the hourglass. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but we'll be back next time. We'll keep talking. Um, today, though, I don't reckon there's much else left for us to do other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Looking out my window, Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Step performed by Half.Cool. We'll go out today with Cornerstone, performed by Toby Mack and Zach Williams, written by Brian Fowler, Micah Cooper, and Toby McKeon. 
I stand. 